0: What's up? I hope you were having a great day. It is I, Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. Zach Gray was supposed to join me today and help me break down the NBA playoffs, but he is sick, sadly, so it's just me. So in addition to breaking down the playoff games, in honor of yesterday being National Star Wars Day, May the 4th be with you, May 5th, Revenge of the 5th, I am going to be doing NBA players as Star Wars characters. I cannot wait to do this segment. But first, double B, Bruce Buffer. Thank you Bruce. I cannot wait to do this segment. Let's get into it. NBA players as Star Wars characters. We're going to start off here with one of the most important characters in the Star Wars saga, Darth Vader. Now, when I was doing this, there's only one clear answer and it is LeBron James. LeBron James is without a doubt Darth Vader. Both are born into just obscure places right you know, Anakin Skywalker, born on a planet out in the middle of nowhere. that's not very populated. LeBron James, born in Ohio. Basically the exact same thing. Both guys are discovered at a young age. And they're, it's like immediately known, like, this kid is going to be special, right? When we see Anakin Skywalker, Mace Windu, is like, this kid's going to be special. When LeBron James was in high school, everybody knew who he was at a time where nobody knew who the top high school prospects were. Okay, everybody knew he was going to be special. That's why he was the number one overall pick straight out of high school. And, you know, Anakin Skywalker is quickly thrown into the spotlight, right? Being raised up as a Jedi. LeBron is immediately thrown into the spotlight, you know, expected to carry an absolutely terrible Cavaliers teams. And both of these guys, both LeBron and Anakin, live up to the expectations, right? And right before, right before they're both about to hit their prime, like right before LeBron is about to start winning his championships, right before Anakin Skywalker is about to be at his most powerful, they both make a move that will completely change the way that people see them. Anakin makes his move to the dark side and LeBron makes his move to South Beach and everybody turns on them both. Now, they were both still very powerful, right? Anakin, you know, obviously goes on to be Darth Vader, was the most powerful, you know, Jedi slash, you know, dark side guy for a very, very long time. LeBron James was the best player in Miami for every single year that he was there. They both were unopposed for a long time and they were the face, the face of the empire, so to speak. They both would reign unopposed for an extremely long, long time, right? You know, Darth Vader is, you know, the face of the empire for the longest time, and he reigns unopposed, right? LeBron James, dominant in Miami. And then we have these rebels rise up, right? Luke Skywalker rises up. He goes and he defeats, you know, his dad, Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker. And, you know, the Spurs figure it out, and then they rise up, and they dethrone LeBron and the Miami Heat as, you know, the best team in the NBA. And, you know, after both of these things happen, we see both Darth Vader and LeBron James have these moments where they come back to the light, right? You know, we see Darth Vader push Palpatine off as he's about to kill Luke Skywalker. And it completely changes the way that you see Darth Vader, right? Like, you see him as the young stud who got confused and he joins the dark side, but he comes back to the light. At the end of the day, he righted his wrongs to a certain degree. LeBron James does the exact same thing, right? You know, his contract ends in Miami. He enters free agency. What does he do? He goes back to the light. He goes back to Cleveland. And not only does he go back to Cleveland, he delivers them a championship. He provides people with the storybook ending that people wanted to see, just like people wanted to see Darth Vader, a.k.a. Anakin Skywalker, save his son. Great endings to both of those. Moving on, Darth Maul, who makes a short appearance in one of the movies, only says two sentences. He has two lines in the entire movie, right? He just shows up, is extremely skilled, and destroys people. There's only one answer for that. That is Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard has to be Darth Maul, the silent assassin, who just shows up in the biggest moments and gets it done. Now, moving on to another one of the bigger character is going to focus on, you know, the Jedi Order this time is Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? A very good Jedi, not the best Jedi. He at no point in his Jedi career was like, this guy's the best. This guy is number one. He has, you know, a few big moments here and there, but he has one top of the mountain moment where it's like, look at me. I did it. I did something profound, Right. And it's when he defeats Anakin as soon as he goes from the light side to the dark side. As soon as he makes the switch, you know, he and Obi Wan have the epic, you know, fight scene and it's incredible. And Obi Wan comes out on top. Now, there's only one player in the history of the NBA that I can think of that matches this. And that is Dirk Nowitzki, right? You know, a guy who was never at one point, you know, the best player in the NBA was. Never the best power forward in the NBA because he's always playing around with Tim Duncan, right? And, you know, he has his career where he has some highs, right? You know, he gets to the Western Conference Finals a couple times, has a couple good playoff series, and is very well respected. And he finally, in 2011, has his profound top-of-the-mountain moment when he defeats LeBron James in his first year in Miami. When LeBron made the switch from the light side to the dark side. On top of that, we see Obi-Wan mentor Luke Skywalker a little bit, and Luke Skywalker in this scenario has to be Luka, the potential new hero of the NBA mentored by Dirk Davinsky, aka Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? They play a similar style. They're both born overseas, just like Luke Skywalker was born in, you know, on Tatooine, a planet that no, that no like Jedi's come from, Luca, born in Slovenia. I don't know of any NBA player ever that has come from Slovenia. We see, you know, Luca now, you know, he was guided by Dirk in his first steps in the NBA, kind of like Obi-Wan trained Luke Skywalker for a short amount of time. Moving on to Luke Skywalker's sister, Princess Leia, who is a great leader. And when she comes into the movies she's just seen as like this princess she's royalty right she's kind of born into this state of power and we meet her and we kind of roll our eyes because she's like pretty and it's like oh she's just going to be the pretty character but she winds up being an extremely important person in you know the star wars saga because of her leadership and people wanting to fight for her and with her and this person has to be steph curry right I mean, he's basically born into the NBA. His dad, Del Curry, played for an extremely long time, was overlooked, is, was kind of seen as just like this pretty ball-handling three-point shooter when he first enters the NBA. But he's obviously an extremely important part in the history of the NBA, not only with the way that he changed it, but on top of that, he recruits Kevin Durant, and people want to play with Steph because he's just infectious and he's a great leader. So he has to be Princess Leia. Now, one of the overarching figures in Star Wars is Yoda, right? And Yoda has got to be Chris Paul, right? You know, Yoda has some failures early on. You know, the Jedi Order completely collapses underneath Yoda. We've seen Chris Paul have a few playoff collapses. You know, Yoda not extremely physically gifted. Chris Paul not extremely physically gifted, But Yoda, who is extremely strong in the Force, makes up for his lack of physical ability. Meanwhile, Chris Paul, his extremely high basketball IQ and wittiness, allows for him to make up for his lack of size and quickness, especially as he's gotten older. Right? Han Solo, one of the most electrifying figures in the Star Wars saga. I mean, just shooting from the hip, charismatic. When he comes on the screen, you can't help but not pay attention. This has to be John Morant, right? You know, a young gun shooting from the hip, going toe-to-toe right now with the with the Golden State Warriors, did it last year in the playing game, just completely going for a charismatic kid at the mic when he's on TV. You can't help but not watch, I swear, every time I get on Twitter. I see a John Morant highlight, and I have to stop, and I have to watch it, and I have to see what he does just because he's cool, just like Han Solo. John Morant is just a cool dude. Now, Han Solo's sidekick, I don't know if you want to call him a sidekick or not, but Chewbacca has got to be Draymond Green, right? Both physically dominant players, both also extremely smart, right? Like Chewbacca can fly a ship, shoot a gun, knows how to fix a ship. Extremely smart guy, Draymond Green. Certainly, I don't have to explain to you why he's such a smart basketball player, especially on the offensive end, extremely smart on the defensive end, as well. They're both kind of big, strong, physical guys that I personally wouldn't want to play against. I would hate to fight Chewbacca. I would also hate to play basketball against Draymond Green, right? Both have tempers. You know, we see Chewbacca get upset a few times in the movies. I don't have to explain to you Draymond Green's temper and everything he does. So, yeah, Draymond Green is Chewbacca. R2-D2 would be Derek Fisher, right? Because R2-D2 is Super flexible, comes through in the clutch, does the dirty work, fixes ships, does all that really kind of cool stuff, and is also successful with both Obi-Wan and he's successful with Luke. Looking at Derek Fisher, he's successful with Kobe and Shaq, and he's successful with Kobe and Powell. And like I said, always comes through in the clutch, is more than willing to do the dirty work. He hit a couple big shots on those Lakers teams. C3PO. Has got to be Rajon Rondo, right? Kind of annoying, but has a really important skill set, right? Just like Rondo. Like if he, I remember when he was on the Mavs, he used to get on my nerves just because he's kind of a diva, but that's beside the point. And you kind of like, but at the same time, like you understand his value, you understand why he's there. I also have one bonus one Kylo Ren is Kevin Durant, okay? Kylo Ren has power. Okay, started on the light side, kind of whiny, but at the end of the day, the real connection here is Kylo Ren wants to be Darth Vader, and he will never, ever be Darth Vader. Kevin Durant, more than anything, he wants to be LeBron James. He wants to be the best player in the NBA, but he never, ever will be. There it is. That is your NBA players as Star Wars characters. We're going to take a short break, and then I'll be back to break down every single Game 2 of the NBA playoffs. All right, here we go. Breaking down all of the Game 2s so far in the NBA playoffs. Game 3s starting back tonight. So we're going to start with the Bucs and the Celtics, you know, their Game 2. Starting with Boston. Grant Williams and Al Horford have to be the primary defenders on Giannis for the rest of this series. Both big, strong guys who can hold their own against Giannis. Like, obviously, you're not just going to stop Giannis cold in his tracks, right? But, you know, definitely can hold their own. I think we saw that in game two. They actually hit their open threes. Okay, they took 43 and hit 20. That's 46%. You know, if Milwaukee continues to defend them like this, which I highly doubt that they will, the series is going to come down to whether or not Boston's role players can, can consistently knock down open threes. They also defended the three extremely well. You know, part of that was, you know, the job that Al Horford and Grant Williams did on Giannis, you know, it made it tougher on Giannis to draw help whenever he'd drive to the bucket. So the threes weren't open as often. Definitely not as often as they were in game one. You know, the Bucks shot three of 18, which is absolutely terrible, okay? With that being said, like, they won't shoot that bad again. But the fact is, they could only shoot 18 of them. And most of them weren't good looks, which is concerning if you're a Milwaukee fan. Looking at things kind of more from the Milwaukee perspective, they got to find Giannis some help. Drew Holiday was terrible in game two way worse than what he was in game one. You know, he has to be better with no Middleton. In addition, they're going to have to defend the three better. Okay, like, I also think it's worth considering letting Tatum kind of do what he does because you know that he's going to play well no matter what you do. And maybe focus more on Jalen Brown, who's going to have to play well for Boston to win this series. I think it'd be easier to take him out of the game rather than Tatum. Because, like like I said, like Tatum's going to do his thing like no matter what you throw at him. But Brown isn't quite on that level offensively. Much easier to get him to play at a lower level compared to Tatum. Also, like I know that they got blown out in Game 2, but they did their job. Okay, like Games 1 and 2, if you're the road team, you want to split, and that is what they did. So advantage from Walkie. Going back, this series is going to be a lot of fun. Moving on to the Warriors and the Grizzlies. So the Grizzlies... You know they're gonna to have to get that level of John Morant in three more games, scoring 47 points, shooting the ball well from three. He's gonna to have to continue to do that if they want to win this series. They're also gonna to have to continue to make things tough on Klay Thompson, who's been nothing but terrible in these first two games offensively. You know they're gonna to have to try and be better on the offensive boards too. That's an area where they can take advantage of their size. They haven't done that yet. If I'm Memphis, I'm still not feeling too too well after these first two games. You know, Bain hasn't played well. You know, it came out earlier today that Brooks isn't going to play in Game 3. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr., great in Game 1, not great in Game 2. You know, like I said, John Morant's going to have to continue to play at this level in order for them to win this series. For the Warriors, like, they're going to be fine. I, I think they're the better team here. I say that more confidently, actually, after Game 2 than I did after Game 1. You know, it took them shooting 18% from 3, And a 47 point performance from Ja for them to lose. Okay. I doubt that they shoot 18% from three again. You know, it's even more unlikely that Steph, Clay, and Poole combined to only shoot six of 29 from three. That's only 20%. Like, that's not going to happen again. My big concern for Golden State right now is trying to figure out who's going to defend Ja with Gary Payton out. Um, You know, I'm guessing it's mainly going to be Wiggins. That's kind of who they went to. You know, after Peyton got hurt, you know, tall, long guy could give John Morant some trouble. You know, maybe they throw Iguodala at him if he can come back. You know, Kaminga's guarded him some, but that hasn't worked out too, too well for the Warriors. So, that's the big concern right now if you're Golden State. But, look, if they can just start hitting their open shots and Klay Thompson can be better than what he's been, then there's, you know, a pretty good chance that they, they win this series. Moving on to the 76ers and the Heat. Let's just be honest here. Like the 76ers, they're outmatched for that Embiid. James Harden looks old. DeAndre Jordan played 13 minutes in game two, which is 13 minutes too many. He was minus nine. Reed played more, played 25 minutes, and was, you know, minus two, right? When they played with no center in the first half, they were plus six. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, in game three going forward, since Embiid's coming back, I hope that, you know, in those short spurts that Embiid is on the bench, we see that small ball lineup because, like, it's proven to work. Okay, it'll be a good change of pace. It's worked in short bursts. I'm hoping that Doc Rivers will go to that lineup instead of rolling DeAndre Jordan out there. I, man, if he rolls DeAndre Jordan out there, I'm going to lose it. But that's you know beside the point. I went into that on the last podcast. Um, so yeah, uh, the Heat continue to do what the Heat do. You know, they're only going to get better. They're just they're just they're so tough. They defend. Have multiple guys who can score. That they're like, there's a reason why they're the number one seed, right? And it's showing here in this series. Moving on to the Mavericks and the Suns. I'll just admit it as a Dallas fan. Like the Mavericks are outmatched. They still have a chance to win the series simply because they have the best player in the series, that is Luka. And here's the thing though. Like if you're Dallas, the positive in this is you're you're learning. You're learning about what Dallas needs. And what we're also learning is that Jalen Brunson isn't a two, okay? The series against the Jazz looks to be an outlier. You know, Brunson struggles to score against length. That we're, that's what we're seeing in this series. We're also seeing that Luka isn't a good enough defender for them to win a championship right now, okay? Like, when he was in, the Suns hunted him and took advantage of him, okay? Whoever Luka was guarding would set the screen, Chris Paul or Devin Booker would come off the screen. Dallas would switch, and then they just play one-on-one with Luka because he's not a good defender, and that's definitely being established in this series. They're also in dire need of a rim protector, and, I mean, it's just its so hard to find a guy who can protect the rim that's going to work well with Luka. I've got some ideas. I can't wait to go into those guys. But like I said, Dallas can still win this series. Brunson or Dinwiddie is going to have to play better, though, for it to happen. You know, Din- Dinwiddie scored ten points in the first half, and they were up by two going into halftime. Uh, he finished with eleven, and Brunson only scored six points the entire game. So, one of them is going to have to step up. And in terms of like what Dallas needs, and what we're learning here is they need a rim they need a rim protector, right? They need a guy who can protect the rim on defense, but they also need a guy who can step out and knock down open threes. Um, because if he's just going to camp out in the paint, and he's going to clog the lane, which is where Luka needs to be. Luka's at his best when he can get two feet in the paint and dish and kick to open three-point shooters. So I would love to see Dallas go get one of these two guys in 2023. They'll both be free agents. One option is Brooke Lopez, a guy in Milwaukee who has proven to be you know a good rim protector, and obviously you know he can step out and shoot the three. The problem is he's a little bit older. He'll be 36 here soon, so you wouldn't get him for very long. Your championship window would be pretty short before you'd have to go and find another guy who can not only protect the rim, but can also shoot a three. Or they could go and get a guy who played in Orlando last year, had the best year of his career, shot 38% from three, and averaged 1.7 blocks per game. And that is Mo Bamba who I don't know if the Magic are going to resign him or not. They've got so many seven-footers down there, it's ridiculous. Um, They'll both be free agents in 2023, so I'll be interested to see if Dallas makes a push for either one. I'd much rather have either one of them over Rudy Gobert, who's going to bring nothing to the table offensively, and is probably going to be more expensive than both of those guys. So Dallas, you know, I think it's worth waiting a year, right? You have time to develop Luka as a defender, you know, you can go find a couple other, you know, scorers and guys who can defend out on the wing. Getting us into their second need, they need a secondary scorer who is also an elite defender, right, which is so hard to find. Okay, they need a Paul George, Chris Middleton type, right, guy who can space the floor and be a knockdown shooter when Luka's on the court, but is also a good enough scorer offensively to be a threat and you can run the offense through when Luka's off the court but can also play defense like an all-NBA defense or or an all-defense level. And those are really hard to find. Like, the three guys came to mind, like Paul George, Chris Middleton, Jalen Brown. And, I mean, that's, that's really it. Because the other guys who are good on both ends are ones, like Jason Tatum is a one, Kawhi Leonard is a one, so on and so forth. And so finding secondary scorers, Who can defend at high levels and can also knock down open shots and run the offense when Luke is off the floor is just is really hard to find So yeah, like Dallas is probably gonna have to draft that guy and they're gonna be drafting in you know, the you know, the 20s pretty much for The rest of the time that Luke is there and it's just it's gonna be hard to find a guy Who can do all those things at a pick that late? so It'll be interesting to see what Dallas does going forward, but they definitely have a bright future as long as Luka is wearing that jersey. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Going to be back again next week, you know, continuing to talk NBA playoffs. We'll probably get into the NFL draft at some point and just everything going on with all the receivers and things. So, yeah, that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you once again for listening, and I'll be back again next week with some more takes for you all.